Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. We've got another big interview for you today. One of the more fascinating people in college football, and he has been in the news recently, Luke Fickle, the head coach at Cincinnati. Now, he didn't have to be the head coach at Cincinnati right now. He could be the head coach at Michigan State. Very famously turned down the Spartans' job offer to stay at Cincinnati. It's pretty interesting because most of us, I think, probably would have taken the bigger money higher profile, pretty good chance to win their job. And Michigan State was in the playoff five years ago. Michigan State won the Big Ten five years ago. And oh, by the way, the guy who was doing the winning at Michigan State, one of Luke Fickle's mentors, Mark D'Antonio. So it was not an easy decision for Luke Fickle to stay at Cincinnati. But I think once you listen to this interview, you're going to understand a little more why he stayed and a little more about the person because he's a different cat. He's had a different coaching career than most of his peers. Most people who go into college coaching do it with the intent that they're going to hop jobs until they reach whatever they think the pinnacle is. Luke Fickle has never been a job hopper. He was at Ohio State for a long, long time. Most coaches don't stay anywhere as long as Luke Fickle stayed at Ohio State. The other thing that makes this so interesting and I threw this question out there in the interview, and I was fascinated by the answer, and and I think it it sheds a lot of light on how Luke Fickle's career has gone and why it's taken the path it's taken. I asked him about being the interim head coach at Ohio State in 2011 after Jim Tressel was fired, and he had a really different answer than I thought he was going to give. Basically, he said that experience made him not want to be a head coach for a while. And he'll explain more about that. He'll also explain the moment when he decided, wait, I do want to be a head coach, and here's what I have to do to do it. And I think you've seen at Cincinnati, he's a pretty darn good head coach. He's had a lot of success with the Bearcats, had a great recruiting class coming in when Michigan State came knocking. you got to think that's a reason, too. He'll talk about that. But it's one of those deals where I think if most of us were put in the situation he was put in, we would have made one kind of selfish decision. He calls the decision he made a selfish decision, but I'm not sure any of us would take it that way. So let's hear Luke Fickle, in his own words, explaining just what the hell happened these last few weeks. Here with Luke Fickle, and this is a big day for you, Coach. I know that you've got... You can have unofficial visitors again, and so you guys are kind of back back in the groove. I heard one of your unofficial visitors is a guy you know really, really well, and you can actually talk about this recruit. It is the one time you're allowed to do it under NCAA rules. Yeah, it's uh, it's a unique time because this year is the first time that um, they had that February dead period. So you couldn't have guys on your campus, which is a big time for you to start looking at those guys for the following year. You know, you get them on campus to go to basketball games and show them the energy and the things that are going on, not just in your program, but in the whole community and, and university in general. Um, and February's been dead. So the first available opportunity is today. So uh, we tried to get some of the local guys and one in particular that uh, 
lives in my own home that uh, <laughs> I don't get a chance to get around and, and do some of these things with. So it's a little bit unique and different. Well, I mean, so your, your house is a, a hive of activity. For those who don't know, six kids, two sets of identical twins. Have you slept in the past <laughs> nine years? <laughs> I do a pretty good job at sleeping sometimes. Um, it's a little bit more difficult, I think, on the wife, but um, maybe not this weekend because my wife went out of town with one, with the set of the twins and left me home with uh, five-year-olds and a 17-year-old and a daughter that uh, have a lot of activities and things they got to do. So uh, this weekend's been a little bit more difficult. It's not normal for me to be left at home uh, with some responsibilities of trying to take care of the house. So uh, she's not really fond of me right now, I think, um, you know, we've been out to dinner most uh, dinner or lunch or breakfast and for about every meal. So uh, it's my way of doing it. I, I heard your daughter runs everything anyway. So as, thank God, as least, the only yeah. girl in the in, yeah. in the in the in the among the fickle children, she just takes care of it all. Yeah, right? it was, it's a good thing that she's there because I left the house last night for a bit, um, and there were five or six juniors to be seniors to be high schoolers in there and i said well, as long as my you know 14 year old daughter's there she'll make sure that everything's taken care of and clean and nobody's killing anybody so um when they leave when i have her at home I, I'm, in, I'm in pretty good shape i can handle it so it's like having a, it's like having an ops guy at home <laughs> yeah there you go perfect ops guy uh whatever someone that uh you can count on that's for darn sure so i i probably should should not bury the lead should get to the big thing I, the question everybody wants to ask you is you had a big decision to make. You made it. You decided to stay here. What's it been like since that moment that you said, I'm in, I'm staying at Cincinnati? Well, there has been you know, some attention, obviously. Um, and I mean, just from our, for our program, but from the community. Um, for me, it's different. It's, you know, I, I actually don't want the attention for it. It's, it's, um, you know, it's one of those things you make a decision and you make a decision for what's best for you know, you and your family and all the things included. And I say family, I mean the men in this program too. Um, and then for me, I just kind of put it behind you and move forward. And um, it's nice to see the, you know, obviously the the, the community and everybody behind you and um, recognizing what your program is doing. Uh, sometimes I don't even want it because it's like, look, this this was a decision and let's move forward. And the best way you can support us and show your your you know happy with what it is we're doing is come uh support these guys and i i did like that very quickly there was a, a video with you and it's oh by the way you can call this number to buy season tickets <laughs> well we got some guys that are that are on top of things and you know we always want to do things the best in the right way and I, that's you know not um again like you said you make a decision and and you know hey i didn't want to put out some statement and um you know, make some big deal of it. So, you know, they thought the best way possible would to, you know, say, Hey, we're, we're, we're continue to roll with what we've done here is, uh, let's try to use that in a way that most importantly, we can get some people to support the program more and more. What was that 48 hours like for you? Cause you, you don't have an agent right now, right? Not really. I mean, I, I I'm talking with somebody just to, you know, help me out a little mm -hmm. bit in some of these things, but no, it, it was, it was pretty much on the shoulders of my wife and I, and, um, you know, it was difficult and, and it was more difficult because of a relationship that, um, that I've had and we've had as, as a family with, you know, Mark D'Antonio and, and, um, everything that he's done up there. Um, so that, I think that made it even more difficult on us. Um, but at some point in time we had to kind of distance ourselves and myself from the, that relationship and figure out what was best. You, you called it a selfish decision, but 
anybody looking at it would say you didn't make the selfish decision. So how, how does that work? I try to, even with the coaches, um, and even with our kids at times, I, you know, we, we preach and talk so much about team and selfless sacrifice. And that's all, you know, if you, every message darn near going into a week is about that of, of a season, you know. And uh, what is most difficult in a program is to, you know, try to continue to keep the selfless mentality. Um, but then there's times when you got to make selfish decisions. After the season, um, Michael Warren came into my office and sat down. I said, look, this is a selfish decision time. That doesn't make you bad. It just means this is a time to make what's best for you. Um, so that's what I said. I said, you know, there's a lot of reasons why we didn't do it or I didn't go. Um, but a lot of those are selfish reasons, you know. And, and so it obviously worked in the best way for us in the program. But I, I just try to say that as you step away from things as opposed to being tugged and pulled by, you know, even your own family that sometimes you got to step away and say, okay, this is a decision that I need to make and, and make it for what's best for me with all those things being held into consideration. Well, you, you've had a very non-traditional coaching career because most guys who have been a coach at your level for as long as you have, have bounced around to a million different places. You were at Ohio state for a long, long time. How much did, did having that stability and, and, kind of knowing where home was and you know not not forgetting your own address like a lot of coaches I know do how how much did that factor in I think it has a lot to do with it and and we're all a product of the environment we've lived in and you know the events or situations that we've been through and to be at one place for 16 21 years I would say uh, based on playing too uh, not do you get accustomed to one place but you get accustomed to um you know, the comfortability sometimes I'd say of, of the people around you and the family. And, um, you know, so you're not real comfortable with picking up and moving your family. And I think that has a, that has something to do with it, whether it's right or wrong. Everybody's got to make their own decisions. What's best for one family is not always what's best for another family. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, the, the environments and what we've been brought up in, um, what I've been brought up in, um, coaching with, you know, Jim Tressel and John Cooper and a lot of those guys that, you know, the grass isn't always greener and, and, you know, you got to figure out what's most important to you and the people that you care about the most. Well, let's talk about this program you've, you've built here because you took what you inherited, you made them better. You're now building upon that through recruiting. And this class, especially what was really interesting. You got a, a big time quarterback, you got uh, Mr. Football in the, in the state of Ohio how important was it to get those guys in here? And as you're dealing with this, let them know you're, you're going to be here for them. Well, that has a factor into, you know, some of those selfish decisions that you make as well. And, you know, I, everybody, like I said, has their own mentality of, of what's most important and how they want to see their path, uh, you know, in their careers or whatever it is. But, um, you know, I, I think if anybody gets around our program, they know we're, a program that's based and built on relationships and uh, our ability to, you know, I'm not saying just recruit, but develop some relationships. Um, it happened to be this year with a lot of local kids and in a, in a community that's really tight um, was the difference for us to uh, probably to land these guys and, and um, which makes our class that much stronger, uh, which I hopefully, you know, that they see that the things that you're preaching and really say you believe in, ends up being really probably the, one of the biggest reasons why you stick and stay. And um, obviously we believe that we've got a bright future. So those things all add up and ha uh, are a part of it too. But uh, 
I think it's, it's, you know, a factor, um, in a lot of ways for why they came and why a lot of us stayed. I heard you talk when, when most of these guys signed about, you know, the, the right ones and, and you've had a pretty good sense over the years of, of who the right ones are. I remember Urban Meyer talking about, uh, you kind of getting up on the table for Darren Lee when, you know, they weren't sure if they wanted to offer him. And, and you said, no, this is, this is the guy. And how do you know when you're recruiting a guy that, that he fits not just athletically, but personality wise in your program? I think that's where you got to spend most of your time. And that's why we say what the right ones. That's why if you're based on relationships, you, you want to do your best job at figuring out what guys, um, you believe can thrive in what it is that you're doing. And I think, um, it's not a perfect science. I think that's where we have been more successful keeping the core nucleus of coaches. You know, yes, it's about players. Players are first and foremost. They're the ones that make the plays. They're the ones that give us an opportunity to be successful on the field. But you can't do it without a core nucleus of, of coaches. And people would say, oh, yeah, because, you know, they're good coaches and they, you know, teach kids how to play football. No, it's not just that. It's core coaches that know what it is that can be successful and will be successful. Um, the core nucleus, those guys understand what can thrive in your program. Um, and it keeps your program believing in those things. When everybody talks about culture, the hardest thing to do is to maintain and enhance your culture. But, you know, we can all get sideways at times when, you know, we start to have success and have an opportunity, whether it's to bring in a new coach or some players that you might not normally have a chance to get, um, not make wanting to, I'm not say upset the apple cart, but keep the core nucleus of coaches and players in your program that really have the same values that uh, you built the thing on. We'd like to pause briefly to ask you, our loyal, wonderful, faithful, handsome, beautiful, intelligent, I can come up with more adjectives, but I think you know, we love you. Wondering if you could do us a favor. Can you go into the today's show notes and click the link? It'll take you to a very short survey, an emphasis on short. We don't want to take up too much of your time, but you know so much about me. You know I'll eat anything that doesn't eat me first. You know my friends at The Athletic, they have all their different secrets to happiness, whether they're mud masks or buying good bread or being able to laugh at yourself. You've been listening to the show. You've learned a lot. Well, we would like to learn a little bit about you. It's a very brief survey, 11 very simple questions that'll take you less than 60 seconds. Promise. So head to the show notes for today's episode and click on that link. And we would love to learn more about you, what you want out of a podcast, what kind of products you'd like to hear about during the podcast, and really just how we can make this better. So whatever advice you have to give, please click that link. We're all ears. And now back to our conversation with Cincinnati head coach Luke Fickle. You said something else interesting. I thought that you told the kids in recruiting is that your college career probably isn't going to go the way you've envisioned it, which I thought was interesting. It's really true. It happens to, to most guys, but that's not something coaches usually would, would just tell them. It is. I mean, whatever they believe and see and think, I mean, I got a 17 year old son, the same thing. And, um, I tell them the same thing. It's it, what, where, what you see and what you plan is not what's actually going to happen, but you know you can still get the end result that you want if you can handle all those different little twists and turns. And the only way to me that you got a chance to do it is be around people that you can trust, you can count on, that are going to help you, you know, guide you when the when those little turns happen. And I think that's more than anything of saying not to a kid, hey, it's not going to go as you plan it, but. It's not, but yet 
you got to trust the people that are around you. They're going to keep you on that path and continue to yeah, find you other ways. Not necessarily in a bad way. No. As you plan, it just is going to be different. Yeah, it's just yeah. going to be different. I mean, nobody wants to sit on the bench. Yeah. You know, there's, I mean, you take a, a, a all Ohio Mr. Football quarterback that walks in and, yep. you know, there's, there's a two, three year starter sitting in front of him and a guy right behind him that's, that's, you know, played some good ball too. And, in order for them to make that decision, he's got to trust the people that, you know, I'm sure he's got a vision of walking in the door and taking snaps. Everybody's throwing rose game. petals yeah, at his feet. And, yeah, yeah. Just like happened out here today. But the reality <laughs> is um, it's not. And how we handle those things is going to be probably the, you know, the biggest difference in where we end up. So how does that apply to, to your own career? Because you were put in a very interesting situation where, in 2011, you're the head coach at Ohio State. And what do you learn from that experience? And, and what, how did that kind of guide you to become the head coach that you are now? You learn to fail. And I think that's probably one of the questions I ask most coaches when they come in here. And, and just as we are interviewing, we have three new spots this year. And I always want to know when they failed and, and what happened when you failed. And, you know, What'd you learn? Um, because if you haven't failed, you probably haven't been in the situations um, that are going to make you better. And I think to me, that's probably what I take from that year, that eight months more than anything is, you know, you had a, you had a plan, you put the plan in place, the plan didn't work very well. Um, and you made a lot of mistakes along the way. But do you find ways to continue to grow? Do you find ways to continue to move forward? Um, and I say fail, I say fail in the eyes of, what the oh, sure. general public believes right. in, and if you're in this business, if you don't win, it's failing. Well, that's what Nick Saban, after they lost to Clemson in the national title game the first time, the whole off season, he kept telling the players never waste a failure, mm -hmm. which is a pretty good way of putting it. And they, they ended up winning a national title the, the following year. But I mean, that's, it does seem like that's, that's an important thing you have to be able to do is, is just take the lessons that that offers you. And that's one of those things that in that position you were put in, you could have said, I don't ever want to be a head coach again, or I, I don't, this is, this is not for me, but you did take those to, to heart. But, but it's interesting because you didn't immediately go back to, no, because to try I to be didn't want to be a head coach at that time. <laughs> okay. To be that's honest with that's you. what I was wondering. Cause yeah. you could have. Yeah. There's a lot of uniquely different things about being a head coach um, for me. You know, and, and what I enjoy the most out of coaching, what I enjoy the most out of 18 to 22 year olds, um, the unique thing about that eight months, it was spent, you know, with all the, you know, a lot of negative things, um, but a lot of time spent away from the young men and right. the what, what you're there to do and yeah. what you really enjoy that building those relationships, watching guys grow on every day, every week, month, um, I know it was a unique situation where there was a lot of things that were going on, but you still were taken. I was taken out of that role that I enjoyed so much. And um, so I, I, I didn't. When I got done with that, I was like, look, I, I really want to go back to the role that I had. I really enjoyed that relationships. And whether it's those 13 or 14 linebackers or, you know, the 50 guys on defense, you just there's a lot of things you can build different. And um it wasn't until I heard Mark D'Antonio, I think, spoke at the Ohio High School Coaches, and he, he said something that really kind of stuck with me. He says, if you want to move up, you got to give up. And if you want to take some of those next steps, there's some things that you really got to give up. And for me, that was, if you want to do this and build a program and take those, you can't be held back by those things that you've enjoyed and loved right, so the, much. The comfort of 
those relationships, yep. that that tightness in the in the linebacker room, or yeah, yeah, and that was something for me that in that eight months that I was taken away from, and I know there's a lot of the negative, but I just didn't enjoy it. I just didn't enjoy it, and um, so it was different. And and until that time, it was kind of what sparked the interest to say, hey, if you really want to do this, you got to be willing to go into some different roles and you know not be afraid to lose those connections. How how much did you have a list of after after you heard that and decided okay maybe I do want to do this again of when I become a head coach here's what I'm going to do this is what I want to the program I want to run so I think the unique thing about it is if you ask every assistant coach in college football they'll probably tell you yeah I want to be a head coach you know I dream of being a head coach and nothing different than we say to a seven every one of these kids just walking the door down to go play today. in the league you know yep. hey what, how many I got a dream to play in the league I tell my own, I, everybody, I have a dream every night. It, they don't do crap for me, to be honest with you. I mean, everybody has dreams. I said, if you don't have a passion to give an opportunity for your dream to be successful, then it's just a dream. It's just what it is. It's just like everybody else that goes to bed at night. Um, so I think every coach has a dream sometimes. I want to be a head coach. I did too. But I had no plan. I had nothing that was concrete, set in stone, you know. And I think it was that off season I spent uh, that whole summer pretty much for me – you know, of looking into those different leadership types of things and, and really kind of spending, you know, months about putting things together of when, if you had your own, what plan would you really put in place? What do you take from the Hall of Fame coaches that you've... Yeah, I was going to say, you've worked with some really good John coaches. Cooper I played yeah. for and GA'd for, then obviously Jim Tressel for nine, ten years, and then Urban Meyer. And um, what do you take and how would you implement and do the things as opposed to just in your head truly putting it down, articulating it, um, and it becoming who you are. And just uniquely different that it happened, uh, you know, probably six months after that. And, and now you're running a program in a time of, of great change in college football. And I, from a practical standpoint, the, the one that I think probably affects you guys the most is, is the transfer rule that looks like it's going to change. I, I've heard your thoughts on on the portal, and yours are a little bit different than – than what you hear from most coaches. It, what do you what do you think about how it is now and and how it it may be with the with the one time exception? I think we got to be careful. I, to be honest with you, I'm I'm all for players, and I think like I told you before, the portal I don't think is always a bad thing. If you look at it and say, hey, how do you take care of your guys? For us in our program, the relationships, the communication we have with them to hopefully know them better. Um, which keeps them hopefully out of that, or at least or it can yeah, be a, you, can be a better. Make thing. a program where they want to play yeah. there and they don't leave. And if yeah. and the, some go into it to give them a better opportunity, um, that it's not always a bad thing. Uh, but I think that I personally think we got to be careful. Um, we don't always look at it that there's you know when a, when a coach leaves there is sometimes a penalty. You know, for some of the head coaches there might be six, seven, four, three, whatever million dollars. So. I know that they only see the positive, but there are some penalties if we're trying to compare them. Uh, I personally believe if you leave, there should be some penalty, just so that we're not encouraging kids to say, hey, when it gets difficult to go. So I know there's a happy medium. I personally, uh, I've told RAD this, I really wanted to kind of do it with the coaches. I think there ought to be a standard, hey, you sit out six games. Sit out six games. You can transfer after those six games. You're fully eligible. That's to interesting. Play. I, I, that's the first I've ever heard that idea. There, there, to me, then there is some penalty. I mean, but then they can play that. But season. they can play, yeah. and it's not like they have it in high school where you sit out the second half of right. the six six games so that you can't play in a playoff. Well, no, it's look. There's a penalty here. You sit out six games. 
you know, then you're fully able to go. How that fits into can you play those four games and still get a – hey, there's a penalty. It's not a year-long penalty. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Makes people at least have to dis- make some of those better decisions as opposed to just, hey, I got a one-time opportunity. I, I saw Sonny Dykes talking about this, and he, he had an interesting perspective on it because he, he says everybody keeps talking about who, who they might lose. I also look at who I might gain. This is a program where you are winning. You are in a, a high school football hotbed where sometimes guys do leave yeah. because the, they, they're going to a program they consider a big-time program, and they come back. Uh, can you benefit from that? So here's, I think, the biggest issue with us as coaches making voting on the rules. It's really hard to be subjective. Everybody oh, yeah. is looking at it for what's best for their program. And I don't know that we're always taking into consideration what's best for the student athlete. Right. Because if, if you, Luke Fickle, are voting for what's best for Cincinnati, or, you'd want unrestricted everything because yeah. you guys could clean house. We're, 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 yeah. we're going to benefit from you know the community and doing the recruiting the way we do it if kids go someplace and aren't happy to be able to come back. you know, Yeah, there's going to be an opportunity for somebody that can leave. But in the way we do things, I think it would be an incredible benefit to us in our program. Um, A, because of where we are, how we recruit – and then how we try to build relations and take care of our kids. So if there's a one-time transfer, I think it will benefit our program a lot. Um, but I don't know that that's what's best for college football. I don't know if that's what's best for 18 to 22-year-olds. Um, you know, So you know, when I step back in a way, I say, hey, we still have an obligation to say, let's make what it is that we're doing the best, not just what's best for each and every one of us. So most coaches have a vote. They're looking at what's best for their program. They leave that program. They go to another one. Well, hold on. Now I changed my vote. I it's changed like my mind. Like, well, hold on. Why did you change your mind? Well, it's not as good for my program now as it was three years ago. That's exactly right. Yeah, well, all, all politics are local. So, But, okay, so one of the things, and if you look at the way you've recruited and, and the way you've retained guys, it does seem like this is a place people want to play. How do you create an environment where people are happy and people want to stay? Well, it, it, it's a little bit easier, I think, when you're starting, when you're building. I think it starts to change a little bit in just this year as, you know, all of a sudden I've told the team and the players this all the time. It's, you know, when, when things are tough, you know, you, you kind of rally around each other and nobody's worried about anything other than, hey, how do we get this thing fixed? How do yeah. we get this thing going on the right direction? And then you win. And then just like 18 to 22, it's just like coaches. Once all of a sudden we've had success, now it becomes, okay, now oh, we're winning. Now what's in it for me. So I think there's always an evolution. And I think, you know, that's a part of the culture of what it is we do. It's not the same every year. You know, we're, we're having more success and we got to recognize that, you know, there's going to be other things now that we're going to have to deal with and keep the core nucleus of not just people, but uh, of philosophies the same uh, as we continue to grow. How excited are you for, for this coming season? I mean, you've, you've built Every year, where can you go and what do you need to work on right now? I think the biggest – I mean, this, this was a Jim Trestle more than anything. That, that It's not as hard to get kind of to the top, to, to have that ability You know, when, when things are tough and guys fight their butts off. It's really much more difficult to not just take that last step but also to maintain and continue to enhance once you're you know towards the top and i'd say that in our league we didn't win it so we're not saying we're the top of the league but just in winning 11 games and winning 11 games and the successes we've had um 
our focus right now is it's really difficult to take the next step. That first year, really not very difficult to go from winning four games or should have been one yeah. to winning some more and creating that positive momentum. But now where we are, how do we keep the same mindset of it's still about the people in this room and nobody's bigger than anybody else and it's not about what's in it for me in order to take the next step beyond what it is we're doing. We've got more talent. We've got a better team, I truly believe, on paper. How do we take the next step is going to be really, really, really difficult, and uh, it's going to be more about a mindset and a mentality. How much of where you've been helps with that? Because that's one thing Ohio State has been great at is convincing those players that you have to work even harder to stay there than you did to get there. You're, like I said, your experiences. I mean, um, there's no greater experiences than being a part of it and seeing it, especially – where I was and, and with the type of people you, you had it with. I was talking with somebody. They called about the draft class of 2015. They're doing some article. Um, and I said the unique thing is that Coach Meyer did a phenomenal job of um, is being able to manage, you know, the first-rounders, the big, big, big-timers. Um, it's a hell of a lot easier when you've got one first-rounder and about five or six, six, seven-rounders. Right. You know, just the makeup. So – and it does. It, that's what it is there. Here, it's the same thing. It just might not be a first rounder, but it's guys that have started for two years or three years, or you know, are all league. It's the same idea. You know that that are they hungry enough to continue to do the things they need to do to make the people around them better? All right, coach. I know you got to work on the class of twenty twenty one. So uh, good luck with that. It never stops. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that was an unbelievable interview with Luke Fickle. I'd like to thank him for taking the time on a Sunday when. They were planning to, to bring in some recruits for unofficial visits. And don't worry, NCAA, I didn't see any recruits. They did not advertise anybody was there. I was just hanging out in Luke Fickle's office, and uh, we had a very nice conversation. And I tell you what, uh, that is a man who is busy. Two sets of identical twins plus two other kids. That's a lot, a lot to keep track of. He and his wife are saints. And... I think that probably helps explain a lot, too, about where he's at. This is not a guy who's just going to hop to job to job to job. You know, maybe that job comes along. I, I think if you notice in that interview, he never says anything that's going to paint him into a corner if the perfect job were to come open in the next few years. And I think for Luke Fickle, you know, that would be Ohio State. That would be Notre Dame. Neither of those jobs seem likely to come open anytime soon. But hey, stranger things have happened. So I, I think he did a great job of not leaving anything out there that somebody's going to throw back in his face if something perfect comes open and he decides to chase it. But I think we also see it probably would take a really perfect job to get him out of there. He's done a good job of keeping his staff together. He really seems excited about the new players they're bringing in. Uh, he feels like he's been on a journey with the guys he inherited. Watch Cincinnati this year, because this is a team that played for the American Conference Championship last year. I think they'll probably compete for it again this year. It's obviously you've got to deal with UCF in your own division. Uh, Memphis, we'll see what happens with Mike Norvell gone and on the other side. Uh, we'll see what happens with Houston after their year of, I don't really know what you want to call it, was it a tanking? Uh, but basically all the, the transfers that they have are now ready to play. So that's going to be a very tough league again next year. And Cincinnati should be one of the best teams in it. We'll see if Luke Fickle's transfer rule idea gets any traction. My guess is 
it won't. I don't think there's going to be that six-game suspension. But remember what he said. If you're just talking about what works best for the University of Cincinnati, the rule that's coming where everybody gets the one-time transfer exception and can play right away, that could help Cincinnati a lot, especially the way they've been recruiting. So going to be a really interesting year for Luke Fickle. Would have been pretty interesting had he taken the Michigan State job too, but he did something that most of us I don't think would have done, and now he's blazing his own path at Cincinnati. So thanks to Luke Fickle, thanks to Ryan Coslin at Cincinnati for setting up the interview. It was a blast, and we will talk to you on Wednesday.